The glory days are here to stay The 80s horror show Take a stroll down memory's lane It's time to start the show the gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. Boo. Boo. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite movies, horror movies from the 1980s and early 1990s. I don't know why I just did that. <laughs> I feel like this podcast is supposed to be... I mean, I made it first on Halloween was the first episode, so it was never really that scary. Welcome to the Gory Days. I'm Kyle Leone, your host with The Ghost. And with me this week, once again, is my partner in crime, my buddy, Derek. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Right. So wait, you doubled down on the Halloween puns, though. You're like, oh, I did my first episode on Halloween. It's not that scary. Ghost pun. Well, we, Pick a lane. That's not, that's are we not, doing ghost puns or not? Because that's not very scary. That's not very... Ghost puns are like more fun and things. But so, the scary ghost voice isn't necessarily that scary either. No, I'm pretty sure it's the Haunted Mansion ghost voice. Is it? <laughs> I, I think they own that like modulation at this point. Uh, I think that was Peter Freeze did the voice for that. The... Um, the voice that you're talking about, of course, is the, um, of, there are no doors and no windows. Like that, that, that voice when you're going down the elevator at the Haunted Mansion? Yeah, I guess. I'm yeah. really not sure which one I'm referencing that clearly. That but... is Peter Freeze, who, of course, is also famous for voicing Tony the Tiger on the, uh... Kellogg's adverts. Is that what it was? Kellogg's? What yeah. was it? Tony? Not was, he is. No, Hey, Tony. Frosted Flakes. Yeah, Kellogg's yeah, Frosted Flakes. Kellogg's I couldn't remember cereal. what the specific cereal oh, okay. was. Could you? Yes. I mean, okay, yeah, yeah, it's Frosted Flakes. <laughs> um, God, I feel like that's probably bad on their part if I can't remember what they're it advertising. Is, but it's also, like, the one of the most popular and marketed cereals, so you've apparently been missing out on the big cereal buys. Yeah. So I mentioned on past podcasts that a personal fear of mine was dolls. I was particularly afraid of uh, Chucky in particular, but dolls in general. I had a little sister growing up who had a lot of dolls in her room, and so it made it really hard to go anywhere near her room or anywhere in eyesight of those dolls. My dad had uh, one of those dancing, like, uh, little person robots that was dressed up like the 49ers that would sing are you ready for some football and like do a little dance scared the crap out of me because it's this tiny little person with plastic face in the corner and i remember my dad motion sensor right motion sensor absolutely so when you walk past it it would start screaming and dancing are you ready for some football um I remember I would find that uh, particular doll on the like fireplace, not not on the mantle, but like on the floor next to the fireplace. And each and every morning, I would pick up that doll without looking at it, like turning its face away and looking away, and put it in the corner of like the couch, like where nothing else could fit really. And I would put it there. And every morning, I would find it moved back again. I'm sure by my dad or my sister or my mom, but I always moved it back. Wait, and no one asked you, Kyle, why are you moving this? I'm sure. Every I'm sure morning? they did, but that's okay. not. The 
the interesting part. Yeah. <laughs> no, the interesting part is that it mysteriously moved to its original position. Honestly, that never crossed my mind. I was never like curious, like, oh, it's moving every time. In my adolescent mind, I knew someone was moving it, and I knew they knew I was moving it back. Well, that's actually the baffling part to me, is that like if I was your parents, I'd go, Kyle, stop moving my GD doll. I'm sick of putting it back every morning. <laughs> um... Yeah, so dolls was definitely a scary thing for me. I would go to Blockbuster a lot. I played a lot of video games. Uh, I played a lot of uh, I played a lot of video games and I watched a lot of movies. So I was at Blockbuster and Hollywood Video a lot. Did you? Oh yeah, I mean we used to go to Blockbuster every week. It'd be like a Friday night thing on the way home from school. We'd go by the Blockbuster to pick up some weekend video rentals and a video game. Started out in '64, mm-hmm. then moved to PS2. Never really rented PS1 games for whatever reason. Um, a lot of mostly PS2 rentals for me. A lot of video game rentals from Blockbuster. Did you ever walk up and down the movie aisles to like look at the different movie uh, covers and things? Not even necessarily movies you had any interest in watching, just to look at the covers. Yeah, I, I did that mostly with the anime section. I think. Okay, well, to tell you the truth, I was the kind of person cut from the kind of cloth that liked to walk around the entire movie theater before or after or before and after a movie to look at all the posters for the upcoming attractions. And sometimes I would have to drag my friends along through each wing and each hidden little corner of the movie theater to look at all the posters because, quite honestly, I was really excited and interested. I don't know in... why you're using the past tense. You still drag me to I see still all the freaking posters after every movie. I still do that, but I'm speaking the past tense because they don't have that experience at Blockbuster and Hollywood Video anymore. The most, the closest you can get is by going to uh, Best Buy or um, Target, you know, just a store like that. Ooh, excuse me. store like that that sells DVDs and you can look at the box sets and things like that, but it still doesn't recapture the teaser poster or just the idea that people are going to be in movie theaters and there's not going to be a trailer. All they're going to see is this weird poster. Well, I have to give the immediate counterpoint that comes to mind is, yeah, we closed down the retail store, but you've used Netflix. And at its core, I'd say that experience is very similar to browsing an online streaming service. Yes and no. Netflix and Hulu and those services, for some reason, are creating their own posters because they're not the typical um format i don't know what the dimensions are for a typical movie poster but it's not the portrait look it's more of a landscape look in all of the ones that you've mentioned and so they seem to recreate the posters in like new ways or sometimes they'll just update them in the middle of a season because just to make it look new um people get well those aren't posters let's be clear here there's movies on netflix that had a poster from the 1980s, and they used part of that poster for its graphic. There's The Office, which is an NBC series that they rotate out what the header image on Netflix is because NBC wants to promote its series and has various marketing materials, but, like, no one's making a new poster for Chopping Mall. Are they? I don't think so. My point is that I loved walking around the horror movie section of the video rental stores, Blockbuster and Hollywood Video, and I loved looking out of the corner of my eye at the different boxes and the different uh, VHSs and DVDs and things, because those boxes are usually much scarier than the movie itself. Would you agree for some... I'll agree for the, the for the point of the segment. Uh, I'm not really personally, I guess, capable of making that evaluation. That's not a big deal. I'm just talking about the discrepancy between a movie poster or a movie box and the movie itself. The movie we watched this week was 
Puppet Master, 1989. And I don't know if you've seen the, if you listeners out there have seen the poster for Puppet Master, but it paints a somewhat accurate image of the movie that is as accurate as five minutes. It portrays the uh, titular puppets inside the trunk that the puppet master, the titular puppet master, I guess not titular puppets, but are they both titular? I think they're both titular. They're yeah, both actually, in the title. I debated correcting you on it, but I went, well, it's not strictly wrong. It does have the word puppet in there, and he's mastering these specific puppets. So, uh, okay, fine. So the titular puppets are inside the titular puppet master's trunk. And I don't know. What do you think when you see this poster? What do you think this movie's going to be? Puppet Master, a box full of puppets. Evil comes in all sizes is the tagline. I mean, the only assumption you can make with the you know, background of light and fog on it is that these puppets are going to kill you or Ni- kill someone. 1989, one full year, October 1989 when this movie is released. One full year after Chucky is introduced to the world. Child's Play came out in 1988, Don Mancini and uh uh it's definitely writing off the popularity of Dolls, another Charles Band joint, Child's Play, and uh, honestly, there are a lot of doll coming to life horror movies in the 80s that all kind of revolved around the same idea, um, and that branched out in different ways, but the bottom line being things that have no business being alive coming to life and being evil, because of course this trope carries on through stories like Toy Story, but they're not necessarily evil, but it is a popular idea, the things having no business being alive being alive, and maybe they're evil. But in reference to my opening blurb, what I'm talking about here is that this movie barely features the puppets, and we'll get into that a little bit, but of course what I like to do is talk a little bit about the historical context for this movie. This movie was actually originally intended to be released in theaters in the summer of 1989, but it was ultimately pushed to a direct-to-video release on Thursday, October 12th, 1989, because Charles Band very intelligently thought he was likely to make more money in the direct-to-video market than the theatrical market. Who's Charles Band? Charles Band is the producer of this and a ton of other B-movie horror films. Charles Band, in fact... Didn't he direct this? No, he was the producer for this movie, the director. Okay. (laughs) Puppet Master was released direct-to-video on Thursday, October 12th, 1989, which is actually Columbus Day. It was directed by David Schmoller, produced by Charles Band, and written by Kenneth J. Hall and David Schmoller, with a scant budget of $400,000-1989. Schmoller. Schmoller? Yeah, with the O-E there. (laughs) Thanks for uh, correcting German pronunciation there. So it's kind of interesting to note that uh, Charles Band is this unique kind of like, uh, think of him as like, oh, what's what's the greatest show feature, uh, the greatest showman? Who's that guy? P.T. Barnum. Think of him as like this, like, greatest... Oh, by the way, do you know what P.T. Barnum actually looks like? He's a midget, right? No. <laughs> Which, God, this show just cannot escape dealing with that, can it? <laughs> I'm sorry. Um... Anyway, no, P.T. Barnum looks identical to Professor Slugworth from the Harry Potter movies. He looks like President Van Buren, like bald and with mutton chops. Van Buren is a more attractive version of P.T. Barnum. (laughs) And they have cast Hugh Jackman to portray him in the movie. And that is, I'm stealing this from a tweet, I don't remember from who, but that is the biggest upgrade from 
your real life look to your representation in film <laughs> that has ever happened. <laughs> um, second only to maybe Charlize Theron in Monster, portraying whoever she was supposed to be in Monster, the serial killer. Um, Charlize Theron is much more gorgeous. Is it? Uh, based on real life yes. movie? I oh, didn't big know time. anything about it, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great one with, um, yeah, 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 Christina Ricci as her little, uh, <laughs> as her boy wonder. <laughs> um, so it's actually interesting to note, Charles Band in this P.T. Barnum kind of way is a master of 80s horror because at one point in time he realizes that, hey, there's going to be a huge sci-fi and horror market uh, coming up and people aren't as willing to spend as much as the big Hollywood productions are always willing to. I'll make a production company that makes movies at half the cost. And so what he does is he creates Empire International Pictures and he bases it in Italy. After the collapse of Empire Pictures, which he accredits to uh, the fall of the lira in Italy, Charles Band relocated to the United States and opened Full Moon Pictures. Charles Band's goal at the time with Full Moon Pictures was to create low-budget horror, science fiction, and fantasy films, which mirrored the quality of films with more generous budgets. So, after partnering with Paramount Pictures and Pioneer Home Entertainment, Full Moon Productions begins production on their first feature film, Puppet Master, which had a premise similar to an earlier Empire International Pictures film produced by Charles Band called Dolls 1987. It's kind of iffy and weird there that he releases a movie called Dolls in 1987 under Empire International Pictures. The company goes under, so he moves and makes an identical movie under a different name. Yeah, it really turns on how identical it is, I wonder... I mean, we'll have to watch that one. The idea of a talking doll, as you hit on earlier, is so incredibly non-specific to any one movie in this era. That's true. Or not even a talking doll, sorry, a violent doll, because I don't think at any point these puppets actually speak. They vocalize, but they don't speak. No, they make like little like whimpers and grumbles and things. So the year was 1989. The month was October. October 1st, 1989. I found this out, found this to be pretty interesting, given the fact that I'm a gay man. Civil union between partners in a same-sex relationship became legal in Denmark, October 1st, 1989, under a law enacted on June 7th, the world's first such legislation. I had no idea that in all of the world, the first place to legalize same-sex relationships is Denmark. Interesting. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I wonder if it was a practicality. I mean, I wonder if, like, their state systems just kind of went, you know, we really can't handle all these unmarried, like, There's cohabitating so couples. It's just screwing with our socialist system, so, oh, crap, I guess we'll just have to let them marry. It's That's... just easier. There's more paperwork then. Or less paperwork? Do they like paperwork? Aren't they like Germans? <laughs> My mind went to a similar place, except I thought, oh, uh, there must have been some uh, homosexual people in the government, so they had to push this forwards to, to make them their lives I think, okay. I think America has taught us that having homosexuals in the government does not result in having pro-homosexual no, policies. No, In <laughs> fact, homosexuals have existed in the government well before they were allowed to exist at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in, Before we in society. passed the law allowing gay people to exist. That's essentially what this in is. In 1984, allowing America gay... legalized gay existence. <laughs> allowing gay relationships. A, a, gay, a same-sex relationship was not legal. That's an illegal thing. At least in America still, in 1989, because it's not Wait, the did worst. I misunderstand your fun fact? Read me it again. October 1st, 1989. Civil union 
between partners in a same-sex relationship becomes legal. Okay, that's way more than just mere acceptance, then. In Denmark, under... Yeah. Yes, it's civil unions. Yeah. Which is marriage, Yeah, essentially. In 1989, we weren't so backwards. No, we still were. <laughs> no, we, we were. were. Dane? Americans were, yeah. So, October 1989, some of the popular films that people may have been watching at the time would include... Batman, Tim Burton's Batman, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Lethal Weapon 2, Twins, Back to the Future Part 2, Ghostbusters 2, it was a big year for sequels, The Little Mermaid, Driving Miss Daisy, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Okay, of all those movies, and you made me watch Puppet Master, like those are all <laughs> good I know none of them are horror. Maybe some of them were. I wasn't listening that carefully. But Jesus Christ, don't read me a list of good movies <laughs> when I had to watch Puppet Master. Some of the best-selling books at the time included A Brief History of Time, Stephen Hawking, and Clear and Present Danger by Tom Clancy. And if you were a music, an avid music fan at the time, you might have been listening to Janet Jackson's Miss You Much or maybe Madonna's Cherish. So... Puppet Master is a bizarre franchise. It's insane how many movies have existed over how many years and how many times it seems to contradict itself. This timeline and the research that I've done, there are retcons, there are retcons after retcons, there are retcons that redo the old retcons later. It's bananas. Okay, so this movie comes out, 1989, Puppet Master. It inspires a sequel, Puppet Master 2, His Unholy Creation, 1990. 1991, Puppet Master 3, Toulon's Revenge. 1993, Puppet Master 4, The Demon. 1994, Puppet Master 5, The Final Chapter. 1998, Curse of the Puppet Master. 1999, Retro Puppet Master. 2003, Puppet Master The Legacy. 2004, Puppet Master vs. Demonic Toys. 2010, Puppet Master Axis of Evil. 2012, Puppet Master X. Axis Rising, and coming in 2018, Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich. So, I think this was kind of downplayed in this movie. We'll talk about it as we get into the recap, but Nazis are a part of the Puppet Master lore. Those two German agents, they were I Nazis. Guess. Well, I mean, are they? It's not really they clear are. what year it is. N well, okay, it just establishes it in there. It was 1939 in the beginning of the movie, so okay. it, it does make yeah. sense for them to be in power or whatever. But uh, yeah, so that's the list of the movies that they come out. But just like any good horror franchise, that's not the chronological order. That's silly. Why would you expect them to come out in order like that? Now, the proper order for watching the Puppethead movies is you start with a 1999 movie, Retro Puppet Master. Sorry, was I saying Puppethead? Only once. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to just let it slide, but only once. You start with a 1999 movie, Retro Puppet Master. Then you jump to 1990 for Puppet Master 2. Go forward one year for Puppet Master 3. Jump to 2010. For Puppet Master, Axis of Evil. Then two more years to Puppet Master X, Axis Rising. Then jump back to 1989 for the first movie. Then go four, five... Oh, God, wait. <laughs> then go four, five, six, eight. Yeah, and then you've watched all the movies in order. <laughs> God, that was hard to think... God, that was hard to do, even if when I had it all written out in front of me. Eight's the last one? Yeah, why do these movies do this? 
Why do movies think that it's like, well, if we're going to make sequels, we might as well go back in time and redo. Because and I guarantee you they just shot themselves in the foot in one of the sequels. Because they killed off too many characters, they killed off too many puppets, and they went, oh shit, we still got to make more movies, people want to pay us for these. I guess we'll just go back in time, I guess we'll just retcon. Well, I mean, you... from the one movie I've seen in this series, I have no expectation that there is a sacredness to this plot or anything. That they're just in it to make a funny-ish little horror movie, make their money, and see if people liked it. It's, it's not a work of art. It's not even, like, an attempt at continuity, I wouldn't say. Because do you remember the, like, twist at the end of this one? Apparently in 2, the one that comes after this, it's completely erased. Like, already, right, right out the gate, they're trying to just erase what they want to do. And people, astute listeners who listened to earlier episodes of The Gory Days might notice a lot of similarities between this movie and the movie Ghoulies, where a satanic guy discovers the ability to summon uh, tiny puppets who may or may not be evil. It's it's pretty similar. So, uh, yeah, when we come back, we're going to be getting into the recap, what happened uh, in that movie. Then we're going to be getting into our analysis, what we thought about it. And finally, our rating when we come back to the gory days. The gory days! Welcome back to the Gory Days. Kyle Leone, Derek here, and we are talking about Puppet Master in 1989. So, uh, I guess we'll just jump right into it. Puppet Master tells the story of... Ondla Wait, why don't I do it? Because you have a wonderful list of notes in front of you with all the high points of the plot, but I'd like to see how someone who wrote no notes and played Nintendo Switch while watching this movie is capable of summarizing it instead. Great idea. So we open with a 1939 hotel in a Hollywood-esque area. The Bodega Bay Inn, California. Okay. Um, and uh, we see... I'm pretty sure the initial shot actually might be from a puppet point of view, where we have some little dude running around. We just see from their perspective, really no context to any of this. We see two figures in all-black trench coats walking around. Point of view cam seems surprised by this. We cut up to... A vaguely racist uh, Mandarin puppet sitting in a window, turning on its own accord to look at a man sitting behind a desk who goes, yes, I know. And then, like, the puppet looks back out the window. And then fast forward a few minutes, the Germans are in the hotel. Oh, sorry, the black trench coat evil guys are German. Big surprise. Um, they're in the hotel. They are moving up the stairs towards the man. The puppet's running up ahead of them. Puppet gets there a few seconds first. The man goes, oh, don't worry. I won't let... Oh, wait, he's not German. Uh, don't worry. I won't let them take you. I can't do a French accent. Don't worry. I won't let them take you. And then he proceeds to put the puppet in the like trunk. And then we assume he puts the trunk in the wall and somehow seals up the wall. I mean, don't even go into how he can do that in a few seconds. Flash forward to an inordinate amount of years later. He shoots himself. Oh, yeah. Then he shoots himself in the head. <laughs> I thought... Wait... <laughs> Okay, so as somebody who played Nintendo Switch the whole time, you did a pretty good job. That was pretty great. You hit. I got like through 30 seconds. Let me do the actual summary of this movie. How slow do you want this synopsis to be? Thank you. There's no analysis yet. It's a guy who shoots himself. Yeah, now but we you fast can't forward forget to the next part, part where himself. a bunch of people show up at an old hotel because their friend sent them a letter. Yeah, you can tell me I skipped a part, but did it matter? Tell me the part I skipped. 
these friends are having weird dreams and memories and things. One of them wakes up and finds a bunch of leeches on his belly and then wakes up again and they're not there. One of them imagines getting their throat slit and then wakes up and that's not really happening. Two of them are apparently in a relationship uh, trying to help some other woman and they both get a message and they all call each other and determine this is our friend Neil Gallagher trying to tell us that he wants us to meet him at a place. Yeah, so they meet Neil at the place. Uh, they meet Megan, Neil's wife, who tells them Neil's dead. Do you Neil's think dead. I wasn't going to get to that part? Jesus fucking Christ. Okay, I'm going to go so fast past this point that you can't interrupt me. So Megan tells him he's dead. They make sure he's dead. They find out that he's not dead later because uh, he brought himself back to life with the magic spell that makes the puppets, and then it's the end. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Then the puppets kill him. Even though he's nigh undestructible and he's an undead, it doesn't really matter. The puppets just kill him because they're actually good. What? Flipping off noises. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fine. That's basically it. If That's... you want to belabor the plot of a movie this shitty, you can, but there's literally no content between seven random psychics of various accords show up and get murdered by puppets. Four psychics show up, three of them get murdered by puppets, Alex and Megan survive. Okay, so, yeah... He then five of Derek, them get murdered Derek by did puppets. It. Derek did it. He he hit all of the things. There are six deaths in this movie. The first one is when Puppet Master, which he just kind of glossed over, I'll remind you, Puppet Master shoots himself in the head. He is the titular Puppet Master of this movie, and in scene one, he kills himself forty years before the movie takes place. So the second death is Teresa. Teresa, who is. God, see, you got me all... It's, Teresa's the maid. So when they get there, when the four of them get there, the four of them are Alex, Dana, Frank, and Andrea. And the four of them arrive, and they meet Megan, who is Neil's wife, Megan Gallagher, and Teresa, the maid. Teresa gets killed by getting bashed in the head with a fire poker by Pinhead, one of the grosser puppets that jumps out of Neil Gallagher's casket at some point. Which, oh my god, that whole character design for that puppet is just, okay, well we need to be able to cut corners and have a little person in a suit for part of it, so how do we make a puppet bulky and weird enough that that won't seem strange? It was... Oh, we'll have it have no heel head so we can have the person, the actor, just put a big sweater on over their head and then reach their arms out. I read something about that in the... Uh... IMDb trivia that that the actress was a little person stunt person that uh, portrayed that and it was incredibly difficult having to hold her head down yeah. the whole time while punching her co-star in the face yeah which were her real fists so oh I'm sorry Frank and Carissa are the ones that are a couple I said Andrea before Carissa is Frank's lover Carissa and Frank are having animalistic loud sex at one point everyone else can hear and it's played to ironic effect when Carissa gets drilled in the face by one of the puppets and Frank gets leeched on so what happens is he thinks Carissa is still alive and is still caressing him the reason is because he's blindfolded and he's got his arms tied to the bedposts so he can't do anything because this is super sexy and instead of carissa licking him it's actually a puppet it's quote miss leech it's miss the most baffling puppet because to back up a little bit all these puppets were designed by a man in the 1930s uh or earlier 
uh, some crazy French guy who is, for all intents and purposes, not evil. We know that much, at least. And yet he designs some fucked up puppets. One of them has a drill for a hat. Like, one of them has a drill for half of its head. Really no reason one that of them's would happen. One of them's name is Blade. One of them has a switchblade for a hand and a very modern trench coat and hat Fuck. that look really anachronistic in 1930. Anyway, and he designs Miss Leech, a creature that creature is the word I'm been using that vomits out living leeches. It's the only on thing demand. It's the only thing it's that actually It's not a puppet in any way shape or form. And it's the only one that actually produces something. The other ones are... The ones would behave at least like something that could have been controlled with strings in theory. There's absolutely no reason why Miss Leech should exist. And all of the effects around her are so hokey that unless you're terrified of leeches, then it's not scary. No, it's her just face... weird and tedious as you watch someone force a really crappy plastic leech out of a latex tube that someone put too much makeup on. Like three quarters of the way, and then they cut so that it looks like it barfed it out, but it looks like there was no way the leech could actually fit through her mouth. The oh, weird latex. yeah. I mean, it was just, like, baffling, the character design for these puppets. Like, just a hodgepodge of miscellaneous mist creeps. Yeah, it's weird. The trailer that we watched for it 100% confirms her name as Miss Leech, but all of my research and the IMDb credit her as Leech Woman. I'm not going to really die on that hill. We can call her Leech Woman. I kind of prefer Miss Leech. Anyway, Frank gets leeched oh, sorry, to it's death. Mrs. Leech. <laughs> Dana, who is the fortune teller, who is, God, like acting her ass off in this movie. She's she got the drunk? All, no, she's Dana's the fortune teller. She's the one that's got all these stories to tell and she's got that southern accent and she's telling everybody in the place that I don't believe Miss... I, that doesn't sound like the Neil we know. Yeah, she's the but, drunk. Is she? Okay, yeah, fine, the I drunk. Mean. But God, she's like, she hams up every scene. Teresa shows her her room and she's like, stay the away. Redhead, right? I liked her. You she liked was Dana? my favorite one of all of them. Well, she gets, She's the most human. She... Gets, she what? She gets her leg broke. Yeah, she does, and then she gets stabbed off camera. She gets we her throat slit. Um, oh, yeah, no, I forgot. We do see it. It's because just, Dana was the one that had... about a, less than a shot glass worth of blood for the entire scene, so it's not and it, very believable. And it looks like she's holding on the prosthetic it, that's supposed to, like, show her neck ripping yeah. open. It looks like she's holding it on. Yeah, she is. Um, but, yeah, uh, that's the one that demonstrates that Pinhead has inhuman strength. He twists her leg with one hand and breaks it. And then she's, like, crawling away. Well, I wouldn't say it demonstrates he has it, because it's the only time he has it. Because he loses it later. Because every time somebody, he's, like, in their way, they're, like, they pick him up and just toss him. Oh, well, they don't drain more than puppets. At no point are they played or portrayed as any way stronger or more durable or anything. That We see him making them him out of puppet materials. They're not, like superhuman creations they're just puppets that have a piece of some old guy's soul in them well that's the other thing is when we saw the puppet master putting his puppets in the trunk at the beginning of the film in 1939 he also puts in this like scroll of hieroglyphics and it's revealed a little bit later when neil gallagher isn't actually dead Wah! he's alive and he's there with the three other people that he's killed he's there with carissa frank and dana completely dead at a table when alex and megan approach him and he reveals that he discovered the secret, an ancient Egyptian spell or ritual that brings things to life. Okay, so let's just stop there. That's the impetus for Puppet Master and, and the puppets in the Puppet Master world is Egyptian. 
Egyptian hieroglyphs. Like it was a spell. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing to say about that. It's they just, don't it's, either. It's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense, like, mythology-wise. But, yeah, apparently just choose Egypt. It's mysterious enough. And choose, I mean, like, Andre Toulon is a French man, and he's in California when the Nazis get him. Well, I would assume he's fleeing the Nazis. Once again, I'm doing a shitload of legwork for yeah. them, but, oh, the Nazis are interested in the occult, so he had to flee Nazi-occupied France, which I don't think it was in 1939, but that's let's, already let's just a way more he's a little clairvoyant. And so he fled to America to escape Nazi occult hunters. I'm doing all of the legwork for them there. Yeah, and he couldn't get away anymore, so he decided I'll just kill myself, because I can't run for the rest of my life. At first I thought, oh, he's putting his soul in the puppets, so he won't matter when he kills himself. But it's pretty clear from the puppets we see that, that they're all independent and semi-sentient and make their own decisions. Kind of, except they're also under the control of the dead guy. Okay, so we've established that the uh, creation of the puppets is through an Egyptian ritual or magic or whatever. What Neil then goes above and beyond to establish is that, quote, meta I think he says, metaphysically, I committed suicide, unquote. But it was so I could live forever because I discovered to use that Egyptian spell on myself. On the corpse, which, you know, like in a sense kind of makes sense. Okay, you can make a dead thing li live, so use it on a corpse. He never attempts to explain how he uses it on himself after dying because we do see him in a coffin. We do see them moving around his dead body for a while. Like, he he probably was dead in the beginning um, and somehow just magics himself back to life partway through, assuming he used the puppets, but never shown. And I guess he's, like, stronger now because what he explains, Alex, he explains to Alex and Megan, he says, it would take the complete destruction of this body to destroy me now, which is something you could never do. I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like that. Complete destruction of my body is a yeah. quote. The rest of it's paraphrasing. And then he beats up Alex with his fists. Just punches. He just Lots punches of him. Lots of punches. So much punching. And after he's I haven't decided... seen wizards punching this much since Doctor Strange. <laughs> and after he's decided that he's Alex has had enough, he turns over to uh, one of the puppets, Jester, with a spinning, rotating, emotion-changing face, and he tosses him. And I guess that hurts Jester, because all the other puppets witness that and are like, oh, why, why, whoa, whoa. And that's what makes all the puppets turn on Neil Gallagher. And Neil Gallagher now or never did have any sway over them. Yeah, it's like they just made a deal. Like, he, he went up to them and went, hey, guys, uh, I got you out of the wall, because that, that is revealed that Neil bought this. Uh, Neil married his milk toast, boring-ass wife. Yeah, Megan. Just so he could rip a hole in the wall of the hotel her husband, her family owns, which had the puppets in it. The movie even barely explains that. It kind of buries through a throwaway line that he also murdered her parents because she was they were the See, only I, ones that didn't like him. This is a great point. I don't even agree with you. <laughs> he didn't murder her parents. He says... I, I brought myself back to dead from the dead with the spell. I had I'm not even the first human experimentation. Luckily, her parents also died. I'm oh, paraphrasing. Yeah, no, so my understanding right. is her parents just died, and he tried to revive them again. And we don't work. see them. We don't see a failed experiment. We don't see like zombie parents, which would be halfway cool. Yeah. We don't see it. 
And so it's not even clear, did he kill them? Or did he fail to resurrect them? Did he semi-fail to resurrect them? It doesn't matter. And it's a complete tell-don't-show over and over and over with this movie. Yeah. So uh, Neil reveals that he was able to bring himself back to life. He attacks Jester. All the other puppets uh, descend on him, and he ends up inside an elevator. And this is probably the best death in the movie. The sixth and final death is when Neil is attacked by the drill-headed puppet and Pinhead. Um, he's in the elevator shaft. He's in the elevator shaft and he's getting attacked by both of them. He tosses Pinhead across the room. Drill bit gets him in the leg. He uh, pulls Pinhead's head off and tosses his body and his head across the room and then starts to try to shimmy his way out of the top of the elevator. But uh, Blade is waiting for him up there where he promptly chops off Neil's fingers, which start spraying green blood. Neil falls to the floor of the elevator. To ele- the movie's credit, the green blood doesn't smoke or melt through anything. <laughs> I, I really expected it to at to least be acidic. smoke. Um, I learned in my research that the blood is green to avoid an X rating at the time. Hmm. That if they had included red blood coming out of his uh, fingers and all of that at the end, uh, they would have gotten a X rating. Well, I think if I remember from last week's episode, an X rating isn't a thing. It is a thing. Um, I mean... It's kind of an uh, an it's honorary an thing. thing. Well, it means they chose not to give it a rating. Exactly. Our last guest, Brandon, was uh, very knowledgeable in the history of the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association of America. Association of America, which uh, is the rating system that we are familiar with: G, PG, PG thirteen, R, NC seventeen. Back in the day, if the MPAA did not have a rating for your movie, if it was not any of the pre-approved G, PG, or R. They would write an X on your movie, and so that essentially became like a, like the, a tongue-in-cheek rating, a tongue-in-cheek yeah. the X rating. Anyway, I just wanted to get so, into that again. I thought it was fascinating. It is fascinating, and so to avoid that, this movie used green blood, and that's what we see coming out of his Play-Doh fingers as he as Neil plummets to the ground, and then oh boy, dr- the drill puppet drills into his neck, the pinhead puppet holds on to his head. As Miss Leech, Leech Lady, vomits a leech into his mouth while Blade holds it his mouth open with his hook. He also stabbed him in the hand. The he, other hand. That's right. He also him down. Yeah, so he's got his one hand. Yeah, so let's let's break it down. Blade stabs Neil on the hand. Pinhead holding Neil by the head. The drilled puppet drilling Neil on the neck. Miss Leech, bar, uh, Blade holding Neil's mouth open miss leech barfing a leech into his mouth this is all so insanely over the top because alex and megan are trying their hardest to make the puppet stop for absolutely no reason he was just trying to kill alex them was just getting his ass kicked completely hands down gonna lose that fight neil the was puppets going... essentially come to his rescue they save the day they start killing a man who we all as the audience at least know, is explicitly evil. And most of the characters even seem to understand that he was evil even before the end of this. And for some reason, they're still trying to stop the puppets. So they don't. They don't succeed. The puppets win. They kill Neil. And then the last like scene shot of the movie is Megan saying goodbye to Alex. Alex leaving the hotel. Megan finding Dana's uh, taxidermy dog. And... It coming to life 
in her arms and her walking up the stairs, implying that she also has the secret to granting things life. Oh, that makes more sense. I honestly had no idea what it implied when <laughs> when we finished that movie. Uh, yeah, I guess that's what it implies, though. Honestly, I I would... The way that establishes the logic of granting things life in this movie, that dog should be, like, sentient now. Like, everything else becomes appreciably more intelligent than it really should be. Like, those puppets are toddler-level intelligence. Yeah, they're cautious. Least. Like, they... they're cautious, they sneak, they know what would hurt someone when they stab them, etc. So, that dog should be much smarter. And lethal. And still stuffed. See, that's also super unclear. Like, what what happens to your internal anythings? I mean, for some reason, he turned green. All of his shit turned green. His blood Is that because he was dead? Or because to show how strong he was? Pretty sure your blood doesn't turn green when you die. <laughs> I know, but so... movie logic. Anyway, our analysis kind of bled into uh, our recap there, but I want to talk about some of the overarching themes. What are you talking about? That was all analysis. Our recap was a <laughs> masterful 20 seconds of me barfing out five plot points. Yes, you're right. So, I mean, one of the main themes here, uh, as I already mentioned, um, things that have no business living coming to life and then not necessarily being evil, but definitely having the capacity to kill a full-grown person. Um why is this such a popular thing? I think for the reason you talked about earlier, which is doll fears. Is that it? Because I've always treated... In my... Well, it's it's an extension of like the, oh, things you might have around your house that can now be turned into scary things by the you know filmmaker. But don't dolls inherently carry their own kind of fear? I agree with what you're saying. It's what I... I'm, no. Sorry, the dolls don't have fear. I, dolls are inherently fe like creepy to no. some people. Well, to some people, yeah, but I I wouldn't argue that in the dolls same way that, are inherently creepy. In the same way that clowns are inherently creepy to, to some, some people. people. Yeah. Yeah, but beds aren't inherently creepy to some people. But if somebody made a horror movie about beds eating people, then suddenly that would be well, no, reason for it's Hollywood. Not, it's not even that it's something people are scared about. That's not my point. My point is that it's something you might already have in your house or something similar to something you might already have in your house that you now have to look twice at because the movie has convinced you you might you should probably be afraid of it. I agree. It's something that I believed as a kid and I don't know if it's true, but it certainly feels that way where the idea is Hollywood executives sitting in a room and asking each other, hey, what do we want people to be afraid of this year? Or, hey, what aren't people afraid of right now that maybe they should be? And once upon a time, they were like, ooh, sharks. People love going to the beach, but they're not afraid of sharks. We need to make them scared of sharks. So they made a bunch of scary shark movies. Uh, going to sleep. People aren't afraid of sleeping. We need to make somebody that can get you while you're asleep. So they made Freddy Krueger. Um, sex. We got to make it so uh, if you have sex, you're a target and you could die because you have sex. See, it's funny. I think your examples illustrate an alternate of they're just looking for the thing the most people are doing so that they have the most appeal. Ah. You know what everyone does? Goes to sleep. Goes to the beach. Goes to the beach. Has sex. These are all such universal things that it's like you can make a pretty low effort at making it scary and you'll still scare some people because it's a generic enough fear. So why dolls? I don't know. It falls so incredibly flat on me that I have a hard time answering that. It's so specific. 
you're the one who has some underlying understanding of this. I, I don't know why you're asking me. I'm just trying to get the discussion going. <laughs> like they're not dolls aren't scary. They're to not you. scary. And this movie hammers that home by having the first scene from doll point of view have a silly little like 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 he spooks an old lady <laughs> like little like panting that just sounds silly and oh boy there's so many stupid sound cues to this movie there's when his fingers get chopped off in the elevator there's like a cartoony like plomp kind of sound actually that's not the right sound effect but it is it is as ridiculous as that can, can we um, get that can we get that clean plomp um <laughs> Damn it. Every joke I say is just stole from something, and I have to attribute that one to 30 Rock, because that's the sound of two fat people running into each other, is a plomp, I think was what their joke was from that. Do you think we talked enough about the business of things being alive that shouldn't be? I don't know. I mean, it it's such a common horror trope, and I mean, it doesn't even have to be limited to one thing. Things like poltergeist just well, like the that, like, bring everything to life. It did? I guess not necessarily. Nothing came to life. Sorry. That's kind of tying into my next point, which is uh, having a respect for the source of occult magic. And maybe more importantly, occult magic inevitably betraying you. Oh, maybe that's the thing people are supposed to be afraid of here, though. Is, is, you know, magic. Sorcery. I don't know. I mean, the dolls are scary, but the only reason they're alive is through dark black magic. Well, not even black magic. See, this is the thing. It's, it's Egyptian. It's, it's Egyptian which magic. Which is pretty and gray. it's so kind of agnostic because it's it's not clear that they're using it right. It kind of seems like they're abusing this power to bring puppets to life and themselves to life and, and stuff. And the only thing we really hear in reference to an actual spell being done is at the very beginning when Puppet Master is holding one of the puppets and he says, life upon my life. That's about it. That's all we get. Maybe the other movies go a little bit more in depth into the ritual or whatever. Um, but yeah, the idea that uh, occult magic is something you don't want to mess with. This movie might have done better if it had hammered it head like ghoulies with a full room of satanic uh, accoutrements and like uh, rituals and chanting and an implied baby sacrifice. It wants its cake this... and it wants to eat it too because all of its characters are, for all intents and purposes, like witches or wizards of some kind or at least psychics. And so with the exception of one doctor, um, it it can't both have those be their leads and demonize them. Well, that's the thing. So it makes a really hard time distinguishing between, oh, their villain went one step too far in his magical quests. Well, because there seems like a... Di it's really bizarre. There's this under... Th there's this thing that's downplayed, and it was definitely downplayed when we talked about it in the recap, that these four people have established psychic abilities, and that's not that interesting. To anyone, apparently. One of them, Alex, has the ability to dream the future. Another one of them can touch objects and experience their entire history. He totally can't just dream the future, by the way. That's what they say he can do. And again, this movie is just so sloppy and lazy that they have, they show us a few of his prophecy dreams later. And it's like, the dream is, she comes in, like the wife comes into his room, asks him, hey, I need to show you something. He goes with her. Then in the dream, he ends up in this like all white ballroom with her on the second floor. And in that room is her dead husband. And he's dancing with her now. And he says, you can't save her, Alex. It's too late or something like that. And then in real life, when that actually happens, when she comes to his room and says, hey, hurry. She goes and shows him a hallway and they talk for a while. At no point 
was there ever going to be a future in which the dead man was dancing with his wife in a white ballroom? That's not a prophecy dream. That's a, like, premonition of General Mali. Like, that's just a fucking nightmare. You were worried about something and invented a fake thing to be scared about. It's not even a prophecy. At no point, his leech dream doesn't come true. That's the only thing we've seen beyond that. He has two prophetic dreams. One never comes true, and the other one's not even a prophecy. So he's got there's this there's a mini x-men team of of psychic powered people who were all under the tutelage of neil gallagher at some point they were like this is kind of touched on that these four or five characters have a past that the four of them were a team of psychics that just hung out and gallagher neil gallagher was their professor x who brought them all together apparently it was all under the auspice that he was looking for the secret of eternal life or the secret to give things uh inanimate objects life but what do you think about that the idea that they have superpowers these four people have psychic powers and no one really seems to care their powers are such crap though no one really the other girl one of her powers is she has the ability to touch something and know its history but it so overwhelms her that she ends up just spazzing out every time she, she touches something. She mostly has orgasms. That it's like, <laughs> it's that's mostly. not a useful power. She has like a Midas level curse instead where she can't even pick up a teacup without freaking out that Betty White looked at this teacup sometime. And what the heck is Frank's power? The doctor? Yeah. He's just a doctor. He doesn't have a power. Frank Forrester. No, he's I just f- a psychologist. Oh, he's such a creeper too. Because he hangs out with uh, Car- Carissa. Yeah, yeah with, he hangs out with Carissa. With memory touch girl. Yeah, and it's like, they're kind of a thing, but they resent each other until the, like, it's like an experiment, the reason they have sex, is he's talking to his tape recorder. It's not an experiment. Yeah, well, is that, is, we're going to have sex on the, the bed. That's for their, like, weird relationship. That's true, because then he says, uh, record this for my private, whatever. Yeah, like, this is going to be totally it's, private. It's just lazy writing. Super just stupid. Just trying to characterize him without doing anything. Um, yeah, so a respect for the occult and the inevitability of the occult betraying you is definitely a thing that happens in a lot of movies. Um, it seems like it's the safe moral area as oh, a screenwriter. that's the other power. She's not a psychic. She's a white witch. And she doesn't oh, Dana. do anything effectively either. She's the fortune teller. She, um, she puts up a bunch of charms that don't do anything, and that's it. And yep, then she gets herself yep. killed. So I think Gallagher actually just assembled a team of charlatans. <laughs> Who lied to him really effectively, and then he got jealous and decided he needed to kill them all. But then killed himself first, so he could. I mean, that's bring the most effective here. way to kill everyone. <laughs> oh God! And his stupid wife, Megan. Huh? <laughs> what does she explain? She explains that um, when he first showed up, he started putting everything into this hotel, and then all of a sudden one day it just stopped. And he dove himself back into his work. For a whole year. And she just didn't really care. And she was like, that's weird. I didn't know what to do. He was a he was the main contractor. He was destroying everything in my hotel, making it more modern. And then he just stopped. It's because she's evil. Oh, yeah, I, that's right. The big twist at the end is that she's also evil. Yeah, I mean, I like to assume that's why. Again, we're doing work for a movie that doesn't deserve it. <sighs> Puppet Master. Oh my god. It's funny, because I had seen this poster. Like, I have my history of being scared of dolls and things, so I've seen this poster, and I've seen that doll, and I've seen the imagery and things, and never would I ever dreamed that this is what the the story actually is. It's called Puppet Master, but it's mostly about Neil Gallagher coming back. It has nothing to do with the Puppet Master. to, To be clear... Neil is a corpse for most of this movie. Yeah. He comes back within the last 20 minutes and is killed within <laughs> 15 minutes of his resurrection after displaying absolutely no superhuman ability. 
uh, outside of nope being able to punch I mean, I guess harder he's super than superhumanly able to be locked in an elevator by dolls. <laughs> I mean, I know I could get out of that situation better than he did, so that was pretty impressive. They're they're light. They're not even dense or heavy. There's he spends nothing. Fifteen minutes kicking at a door while a puppet with a hook for a hand fails to close the door. Uh, it's just garbage. It's bananas. So, um, unfortunately, we didn't get any uh, Twitter uh, tweets or anything about Puppet Master this week, but I don't blame you. There's not a whole lot in this movie, so we'll just skip ahead to our rating. Of course, this is the part of the podcast where we discuss what we thought about the movie based on a scale, well, on a scale of one to five thumbs, sorry, zero to five thumbs, zero being the worst, five being the best, based Mm. on whatever we want, essentially. The criteria is completely up for grabs. Uh, So, Derek, what did you think of Puppet Master? You reminded me that I can give something zero, and I, I seriously debated it for a second, but this movie isn't bad enough to deserve a zero. Like, its plot is coherent, if yeah. boring. Its characters are flat, if... Oh, I don't even want to call them competent. Yeah, they're competent. They, are. they They have a char- like Each of them has a gimmick for what they do, and they don't really violate it, and they kind of make enough sense in their little stupid universe. The villain's utter crap. The motivations for the puppets are crap. There's absolutely nothing scary. The effects aren't awful for what it is, but they don't add to any tension or scares. Um, I actually liked the acting. I liked a few of the actors. I thought they did a good job with it. I mean, it's a schmaltzy little weird thing, but I, I enjoyed some of their performances, um, considering what they had to work with. Why do I keep forgetting the villain's name? Neil Gallagher. Yeah, Neil Gallagher is just a pointless character. Like, I would have preferred he stayed dead the entire time. Maybe they could have made his wife the villain uh, instead of a weird twist ending with her doing nothing. And God, why did they try to stop the puppets? They could have just walked out. Like, they could have walked out as soon as they started killing Neil. There's absolutely no reason. Actually, at no point is there any reason why any of these people stay. And Kyle pointed this out while we were watching it. But the puppets start killing people on night one. And so the only reason that it's plausible that these people are still here is because they don't know that they're getting killed. Because they came here to see Neil. They found out Neil is dead. They could have just left. The only reason they didn't leave is I assume they all traveled a falling distance and want to sleep that night. Because if I lived within California, I'd probably just leave that afternoon. There's no reason. There's no, like, quid pro quo of spend a night in my haunted hotel and the puppets are yours. There's absolutely no reason for them to stay. And yet they do. And they gradually get killed off and then hang around to watch him die. So I'm going to give it one thumb. And that thumb is going to go to the poor fucking actor who had to bend over and play stupid pinhead for (laughs) any amount of time in this movie. Because they didn't even get to have their face on screen, and yet they had to be in a solid, a solid portion of this movie. Like, pinhead carries act three. Um, Stunt woman Cindy Sorensen. So, Cindy Thorensen's... Cindy Thorensen's... Sorensen. Cindy Sorensen. Oh, this is this is fucked up. Cindy Sorensen's thumb is the only thumb I'm giving. <laughs> Which is actually a thumb we see on screen, so good. Good. And you? Oh. Um. A movie called Puppet Master should feature the Puppet Master. Or a Puppet Master. 
There is a very small argument to be made that Neil Gallagher is the puppet master, and I refuse to listen to it. The puppets should at least be featured in a movie called The Puppet Master. You got two lanes to pick here, guys. You can either feature the puppets or feature the puppet master. What you chose to do was feature the friends of the puppet master's... Hunter? Hunter? Student? I can't even make heads or tails of it. That said, I know what happens from the beginning of this movie all the way to the end. If I ever watch a movie that I can't do that, that's what's getting zero thumbs. I'm giving this movie one thumb, and I'm giving that thumb... Oh, to Buddy, the dog. <laughs> Wait, I'm gonna give it has it... a name? Yeah, his name is Buddy. I'm going to give that dog uh, the little dew claw. I'm going to give a thumb to the uh, Pekingese, the stuffed Pekingese Buddy. Yeah, which definitely is a real taxidermy dog in the yeah. beginning of that movie. Oh, big time. Uh, throughout the movie. And at one time, at one point, it like barks. There's definitely like subtitles for the dog barking. Once. Before yeah. it comes to life later. Well, I mean, it's being carried around by a witch. By Dana? I, I kind of the assumed it had a ghost in it already, didn't you? Whatever. <laughs> Dog ghost. Okay, everybody. That was <laughs> that was Puppet Master. Oh, I would have rather watched Dog Ghost Master. I would have rather watched Dolls. There's a million other movies I would have rather have watched. And to find out that this was a direct-to-video movie makes a ton of sense. And because... how did it get so many sequels, though? Oh, my God, yeah. For a direct-to-video. Like, where did still the cult making... following come from when you started with crap? started so bad. I'm not going to watch any of the others. I don't want to. I might watch The Littlest Reich. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I mean, the fact that, first of all, it still hasn't come out. It's coming out in the future. In 2018. And this series hasn't died yet is baffling. So I need to know why. And, I mean, The Littlest Reich is just... That's pretty funny. That tickles my funny bone enough to know. (laughs) We've evolved as a culture. If I get to watch Nazi puppets get killed or Nazis get killed by puppets, really, there's absolutely no bad way that's going to play out for me. So I'm interested. (laughs) Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Gory Days, everybody. Kyle Leone here. Tune in next week for another fantastic episode where we'll be watching another horror movie from the 1980s or early 1990s. And be sure to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. See you next time. The Glory Days! If you want your thoughts on each week's movies heard on the podcast, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at The Gory Days. And look for more episodes each and every week on the Apple Podcast app. See you next time. The Glory Days!